inconceivable. 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 Hello, everybody, and welcome to Inconceivable. I'm Wonk. I'm Scoff, and you said it wrong. What? It's inconceivable. Thank you. Yeah, you gotta have the, the enthusiasm. Okay, so Scoff's gonna say that from now on. Yeah. Because apparently only he can say it right. It's the only conceivable way to do it. Ha 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 ha! Are All we right, done? Moving on. Our person today, because I always just kind of focus on one particular person. Yep. It's Audrey Marie Hilly. Have you heard of her? No. Great. So this one, this is another episode that is documented. So it's not so much a case as to whether this did happen. This one, it, it did. Okay. But it's still, like, it's very crazy. So it still needs to be shared. Okay. <laughs> you know? All right. So... Audrey Marie Hilly. She was born, or well, yeah, that's what she was born as, and I believe that later on in life her name changes, but she was born on June 4th, 1933. Okay. In Anniston, Alabama. Sweet home. Okay. Oh, she married Frank Hilly. Sorry, she married into the name Hilly, and her birth name was Fraser or Frazier. It's a good Scottish name. I, well, if it's French, then it's pronounced Frazier. I just don't know what it is. Okay. Anyways, so she got married in 1951, and they had two children, Mike and Carol. Okay. So she got married at 18. Nice. 33 and 51. I can math. Okay. Cool. Both had jobs, and Frank's in particular was very well paying, but they still experienced some money problems that was putting a strain on their marriage apparently pretty early. Okay. So to start this crazy stuff off, unbeknownst to Frank, his wife was spending more than they earned combined, and she frequently engaged in sex with her bosses in exchange for money. I was going to say the first part of that, like, frequently spent more than they earned. I'm like, I think that's actually pretty common. Um, ha ha. <laughs> I don't even mean for wives. I mean for couples in general. Yeah. Uh, the, the, the sex for money thing is um, less common, I hope. And and we're not off to a great start. And I've literally read three sentences. Yeah, that's... So. Uh, <laughs> huh. Okay. So, this crazy story begins when Frank starts suffering from a mysterious illness, and so does his son, Mike. Okay, so it's... The husband and the son Yeah, so it's either are... an environmental or it's a bloodline thing. Yeah. Okay. So they just have some kind of weird illness. But then things get weirder when Mike's symptoms, which his doctors attributed to stomach flu, abruptly stop when he moves away to attend seminary. Oh, no. Mm -hmm. Mama, no! <laughs> She's poisoning her kid? In 1975, after returning home early due to his illness, Frank walked in to find Audrey in bed with her boss. Okay, in 1975? Yeah. So at this point, she's like 42. We've jumped they've, ahead a couple years. They've been married for 24 years? Yeah. Um, but... I mean, it, yeah, I'll just keep going. You know what the sad part about that is really quick? What? If this all started when she was like just getting married or within a few years, 
That means that she's been sleeping with her bosses or something to that effect for 20 years and he never found out. Yeah, it's really sad. Like, that's... That's it's, some sneak... This, okay, yeah. So, I'm just gonna keep Get, reading. Yeah, keep going. Because it's, it's kind of a sad story, but it's just... It's so crazy that it has to be talked about. Okay. Like, this episode is called The True Crime Soap Opera. Alright. Oh. It is like a soap opera. I like it. Okay. Despite being hurt and disgusted by his wife's infidelity, as any man would be, he didn't really feel like he could do anything. And by then, their son Mike was an ordained minister, and his father turned to him for advice, which makes sense. Yeah. Um, so Frank's like, what should I do? Uh, so in May 1975, a short time after a visit from Mike, Frank visited his doctor complaining of nausea and tenderness in his abdomen, and he was diagnosed with a viral stomach ache. The condition persists until he ends up having to be admitted to the hospital because it's so bad, and tests indicate that there's a malfunction of the liver, and doctors diagnose infectious hepatitis. Okay. So they're just diagnosing these different things. They're like, this is weird. You know, he has a stomach thing and now his liver is... Which the liver is part of the body that sorts out the toxins and the pollutants, if I'm not mistaken. Yes. Not a good sign. He died. Oh. Early in the morning of May 25th. Less of a good sign. Not a good sign. Frank's autopsy, performed with Audrey Hilly's permission... Revealed swelling of the kidneys and lungs, bilateral pneumonia, and inflammation of the stomach. Because the symptoms closely resembled those of hepatitis, that was listed as his cause of death and no further tests are conducted. Yeah, that, it kind of makes sense. Like, you know, if something's what it looks like it is, you know, then why go 999 out of a thousand times. You're never going to assume, huh, maybe this one's the one that's weird. Yeah. So that all makes sense. Like, nothing seems shady in terms of, like, the doctors and their diagnoses or anything. Yeah. So Frank maintained a moderate life insurance policy. It was secretly taken out by Audrey at the time of his initial illness, and she redeemed it for $31,140. Not bad. Yeah. So, yeah. Not bad. Moving on from that. So she's killed her husband. Yes. Cool. Three years later, Audrey takes out a $25,000 life insurance policy on her daughter, Carol, 25,000 accidental death rider took effect in August 1978. Within a few months of this, Carol begins experiencing trouble with nausea and is admitted to the emergency room several times. Jesus. A year after filing the insurance policy on her daughter, Audrey gave Carol an injection that she claimed would alleviate the nausea. However, the symptoms only worsened, with Carol enduring numbness in her extremities at this point. So. Mom of the year here. No. Not. Like. After medical tests found no disease, Carol's physician, fearing the symptoms were psychosomatic, had her undergo psychiatric testing at Birmingham's Caraway Methodist Methodist Hospital. That's a mouthful. There, Carol secretly received two more injections from her mother, who warned her not to tell others about the shots. Now this part, I don't like, because... You liked the parts before? No, I just... How could you... I know that you would want... Like, you would not, you know, inherently just see something suspicious about someone you love so much, like a parent. But would you not clue in as the daughter at this point? Here's two more injections that are going to make you worse. Don't tell anyone. 
I mean, yes and no, but is it any different nowadays I from just... parents who are like, I'm not going to take you to the hospital, but rub these oils on your forehead, and that'll clear your tuberculosis. Like, is, it, just... is it any different? Yes! It's not. They're, you trust a parent. You trust they know what's best for you. Yeah, but if she's constantly like, don't tell anyone, and you don't notice the symptoms improve... Yeah, I would that's say... That's a big red flag. After the first one, I'd be more skeptical, but I could definitely see her getting away with it once. Once, yeah. Yeah. Because she's like, oh, here's an injection. Like, you know, I don't think your doctors would agree with it, but I promise it'll make you feel better. Yeah. As Most children would be like, okay, I trust you. Yeah. But then, if you're getting a second, a third... And instead of getting better after each one, you consistently get worse after each one. Yeah. Would that cause effect, not relationship, just kind of click? Fool me once, no. shame on you. Fool me twice, shame on me. Fool me thrice, I don't know how patterns work. <laughs> yeah, that's how the old adage goes, right? Sure. Anyways, moving on. Anyways. Um... So a month after Carol's admitted to the hospital, her physician said that she was suffering from malnutrition and vitamin deficiencies, and he added that he suspected heavy metal poisoning was to blame for the symptoms. Heavy metal poisoning, okay. Heavy metal poisoning. So panicking, Audrey had Carol discharged from the hospital that afternoon. So yeah, they're kind of like, uh, or she's like, the jig is up. Yeah, and it's like, it just seems so obvious, but that's because I know how the story ends, I guess, but it's just so... Nah, it makes me mad. Well, and it's one of those you wouldn't think it like a mother intent. Like, don't get me wrong, intentionally killing the husband. It's like, it's not the most uncommon thing in the world, but killing your kids or poisoning your kids—that's okay. a little more out there. Like, I, it's happened. Of course, it's happened, but I think it's less. Yeah, maybe. I guess you could make an argument for the whole maternal instinct thing. Yeah. Anyways. The very day after she's discharged from the other hospital, she's admitted to the University of Alabama Hospital. Okay. Coincidentally, Audrey is arrested for passing bad checks, and they were written to the insurance company that insured Carol's life. So that caused the whole policy to lapse. Yeah. So now there's no more life insurance policy on her daughter. Yes. Okay. University physicians concentrated their investigation on the possibility of heavy metal poisoning after that initial yeah. suspicion. Um, and they were noting that Carol's hands and feet were numb, and she had nerve palsy, causing foot drop. I don't know what foot drop is. Um, and she had lost most of her deep tendon reflexes. It's kind of like foot loose, but the opposite. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Physicians noticed Aldrich Mies lines on Carol's nails. So for those of you who don't know, I did look this up. The white lines across the nails are indicative of arsenic poisoning. Oh, that's cool. Yeah. So forensic tests on samples of her hair were conducted by the Alabama Department of Forensic Sciences on October 3rd, 1979, revealing arsenic levels ranging from over 100 times the normal level close to the scalp to zero times the normal level at the end of the hair shaft. Does that make sense? Yeah, so she was getting poisoned, then the poisoning stopped because hair has to grow for a while. So it means that no, the ones... so like so at the very tip of the hair. Yeah, because she was which being is the poisoned. oldest part of yeah. the hair, though. But the new part of the hair at the base of the scalp had nothing because the poisoning had stopped. No. No. So sorry, what it's actually showing is that she's been she's being given increasingly larger doses of arsenic over a period of oh. they estimate four to eight months. So like the, oh, it was the new low. hair the new hair growth would show the higher amounts. Oh, okay, so the opposite of what I was saying. Yes. Okay. Yeah. So basically. They can see that she was giving 
less, she was given less arsenic to begin with, up, yeah. like where the hair is older, and then as it goes up, it's like increase, increase, increase. Interesting. Yeah. Yeah. So the same day that this all happens, they exhume Frank's body, and when they examine it, it showed between 10 times and 100 times the normal level of arsenic. So it was definitely concluded at this point that both Frank and Carol had suffered from chronic arsenic poisoning, with Frank's poisoning being fatal. Yeah, I'd be getting suspicious at this point. Like, if I'm a, I'm a cop, I'd be like, huh, that's, that's odd. <laughs> it's just, oh, it blows my mind. I, I should not be judging, though, because I'm not, like, an investigator or a doctor or a cop or any of these things. I, I feel like I'd be like, so... and you tell me there was a life insurance policy taken, oh, and he got sick earlier, and is like, "Oh, that's interesting." And then new one on the daughter, and oh, she has the same. Huh. Mm-hmm. You know that that's odd. Yeah, no shit. So Audrey now is incarcerated on her bad check charges still, and then she's arrested. I like I don't really know how this works. She's incarcerated, so she's arrested again, quote unquote. I don't know. Yeah, she's October just charged 9th with for the attempted murder of her daughter. Yes. So the Aniston police found a vial in her purse, tests of which revealed the presence of arsenic. Two weeks later, Frank's sister found a jar of rat poison, which contained 1.4 to 1.5% arsenic. So then on November 9th, Audrey is released on bail, after which she registered at a local motel under an assumed name, and she just disappears. I, okay, I understand, and this, I'm going to like keep this rant short, I understand the whole purpose of bail, to a degree, like, I get it. Right, because you can't just keep everyone in jail that's awaiting trial. It would, it, there's not yeah. enough space. But really, yeah, you're like, hey, this lady's kind of the scum of the earth. We have evidence to believe she killed her husband and tried to kill her daughter, and she's already in jail for bouncing bad checks. Yeah, we'll let her go. But if she runs away, you owe us like you know, hundred fifty thousand yeah, dollars. Like, so stupid. It's so weird. It's so stupid. And this is where that whole soap opera thing comes into play. Okay. So, when she disappears, there's a lot... Lot? A lot? There's a lot of information about her. (laughs) (laughs) There was a note left behind indicating that she might have been kidnapped. And she's listed as a fugitive. It's like... As far as I know, it's a very fake... um, you know, that she was kidnapped. This'll throw the coppers <laughs> off. I took girl you want. Don't look for her PS she innocent of crimes. No. <laughs> nice. It's it's beautiful. You need to be like the perfect crime master. Alright. November nineteenth. At this point there's a break in at the home of Andre's aunt. A car, some women's clothing, and an overnight bag are missing from the house, and they find a note in the house reading, Do not call police. We will burn you out if you do. We found what we wanted and will not bother you again. Unquote. Very, very weird. I like that she's saying we. Like, you yeah. know, it's just like... Because here's the thing. It's not like... Whenever you picture criminals on the run, I kind of picture, like, younger people, right, that are... You know, getting away with stuff. At this point, she's she's in her mid-40s. So there's, like, a mid-40-year-old woman running around, breaking into houses, stealing clothes, leaving notes that are like, I'm part of a secret organization that will burn you if you come after. It's just, it's funny. Like, I picture these as college-level shenanigans. And it's like, yeah. my mom is doing this. Yeah. 
There's a bit of immaturity, to be sure. January 11th, now we're in 1980. She's indicted in absentia for his her husband's murder. Okay. And subsequently, investigators find that both her mother and mother-in-law, Carrie Hilly, had significant but not fatal traces of arsenic in their system when they died. Jesus. <laughs> so wait, her... Sorry, who had it? Her mother? Okay, so, um... Both her mother and her mother-in-law. So she killed her own mother she and killed she her killed mother, her husband's mother. Her mother-in-law, her husband, tried to kill her daughter. Yeah. And she has a son somewhere, right? Wasn't yes, that much? Mike. But would, okay. He's the ordained minister. Yes, he's the minister. Okay. So Mike, he, stay away. Stay away, far away. <laughs> okay, the remains of Sonia Marcel Gibson, an 11-year-old friend of Carol... Hillies, who had died of inter- indeterminate causes in 1974, was also exhumed and examined, but they were found to only contain a un- quote-unquote normal amount of arsenic. Okay, so she didn't kill her childhood friend. That's That good. they can tell. That they can tell. Yeah. Gibson was one of the many neighborhood children who had fallen ill after drinking beverages that they had been given during visits to the Hilly household. <laughs> <laughs> this chick so... for her entire life has just been poisoning people. Yeah. Like, I, I just wonder, like, there's there's all these other illnesses where people, like, just compulsively do stuff and they can't help it. Like, um, what are they called? Like, Kleptomaniacs. People, yes, like, like people who just steal, stuff, yeah. people who just light stuff on fire and they just can't yeah. help themselves. So I wonder if there was something going on with her where she just had to poison every single person. It's like, you know how some... I just, <laughs> you know, like Picasso, he's like painting from a young age. He's like, I'm gonna perfect my art. She's doing the same, but she's mixing arsenic into bottles of lemonade. Like, I just don't. Yeah, it's so bizarre. This will taste delicious. It gets better. Oh, oh gosh. <laughs> or when I say better, I mean worse. But like even crazier, I guess, is what I'm trying to say. So, two police officers who'd been dispatched to look into a disturbance that. Hilly had called 911 about, also reported coming down with nausea and stomach cramps after drinking coffee that she offered them. (laughs) (laughs) So although police and the FBI launched a massive manhunt, Hilly remained a fugitive for a little more than three years. I don't know. (laughs) I wonder if they can pick that up on the mic that our neighbors just suddenly started laughing. laughing. (laughs) Uh, Okay, I'm just gonna... We don't have, like, a ton of medication in the house. I don't know how easy it is to get relatively concentrated levels of arsenic. Like, you mentioned rat poison earlier. There's a little bit in there. But, like, I'm not going to... You can't go up to a pharmacist, especially when you're a little girl, if you're practicing this stuff, and be like, Hey there, doc. I have need of some of that, you know, liquid gold you got behind the counter. It's... Uh, yeah. I want to know where she's getting all this stuff. Yeah, that's a good question. That, or like, no maybe idea. it's a lot more common than I than I thought. But I don't know. So now we're going into the whole part where she's a fugitive, right? Yeah. So she first traveled to Florida, where she met a man named John Greenleaf Holman the Third. Cool. I think she was using the name Robbie Hannon at this point. Okay. She claimed that she was a widow with two children who died in a school bus accident. And that she was about to inherit a large estate in Texas. Okay, just why? I don't know. There's so many simpler backstories. Not like, oh, 
I'm, I'm a poor, poor widow. widow. Both of my kids are dead. It gets better. Just wait. She also claimed that she had advanced brain cancer and a rare disease where her body made too many red cells. <laughs> like, isn't the first rule of lying to make it like to stay as close to the truth as you can yeah, and change the smallest, the details. smallest detail? Like, if I'm lying, I'd be like a lie. Would be something like, you know, I don't drive that red car. My car's black. Mm-hmm. You're not changing it to be like, well, actually, I got this 2017 monster yeah. truck with 30 inch. You know, like yeah. <laughs> just Too like, much. This lady's amazing. Too much. Like she's horrible, but she's amazing. <clears throat> well, she must have been a very convincing liar because this guy buys that. Okay. They lived together for more than a year before she married him on May 29th of 1981 and took his last name. Okay. So now she's married to a new person, and the couple moved to New Hampshire, and she took a job as a secretary. And she would often talk about her imaginary twin sister, Terry, who supposedly lived in Texas. Okay. (laughs) The only downside to this being a podcast is that your facial expressions are not translating. It's just disbelief. I I don't... This is why I love this podcast. And see, like, as weird as it sounds, I don't know how easy it would be to get away with a lie like that. Like, I've known you for years, Mm -hmm. right? Like... But I guess, like, I've got friends at work who they could walk up and be like, this is the past. But I feel like part of me would be like, that's weird. How come I've never, you know, you know, I married you. Hey, can I meet your sister? Oh, yeah. yeah she she doesn't call very often. Oh, we should invite her to the wedding. I, 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 I wouldn't do that. <laughs> do you want to visit the grave of your kids? You know, we could. Oh, no, that's fine. We'll, like, <laughs> I want to know these things. Yeah. Yeah. Anyways, continue with the shenanigans. Yeah, the shenanigans that get all the more crazy. Soap opera time. Late in the summer of 1982, she left New Hampshire telling her husband that her cancer had worsened and she had to go to Texas for treatment. Okay. So during this time, she traveled to Texas and Florida using the alias Terry Martin. So I believe... She was Robbie... Yeah, she was Robbie and Terry is the name of her fake twin sister. Okay. Yeah. So during the trip, using the alias Terry Martin, she calls her husband John Holman and informs him that Robbie Holman had died in Texas and there was no need for him to come to Texas because the body had been donated to medical science. (laughs) (laughs) I don't... I feel really bad for this event. How dense. I feel like you missed a part of the story where she was actually went to, like, acting school. <laughs> Maybe. Like, I don't know. The, my mind is I racing. Like, there's so many simpler ways to do this. But, like, how long was she planning this? Like, she's I like, okay, hey, my backstory needs to have a twin sister so that when I leave my husband, I can say I'm going to go visit her for some reason and then I'm going to die and yeah. I'm going to call him as my twin sister. Like, the whole point, like, I, so the, the marrying him part that to me makes perfect sense. If you're going to try and abandon your identity and find a new one and you marry somebody and you can inherit their last name, yeah, then it, it all it becomes makes it way harder. more legit. Yeah. So, but this whole sister thing, I just don't 
Like, this is where it becomes the soap opera. I have just no idea. I like to think she's got like a journal with her and she's writing down all these crazy ideas. It's like a six-year-old writing a story. Oh my god. And it's like, and then he ran away, but his evil twin came out. <laughs> yeah, so. So she keeps in touch with John. And after some time of getting to know him just over the phone, he wants to meet her, obviously. Yeah. Because he'd be stupid to not care or to just be like, okay, random sister I've never met, I believe you, I hope I never see you again, bye. I'd be like, can I just come like see the headstone or whatever, like visit the grave, right? something, something, right? So anyways, on November 12th or 13th, I guess they don't know which... After changing her hair color and losing some weight, she returns to New Hampshire and meets John Holman, posing as Terry Martin, his deceased wife's sister. I don't like where this is going. (laughs) I don't like where this is going. So funny. However, when Terry took a job as a secretary at the very same employer she previously worked for as Robbie, some co-workers saw through the roots. Go figure. No shit. Like... Why would you do this? I don't know, honey. What? I don't know. It's just so crazy. I don't... Uh, okay. John's friends and family were also concerned, figuring he may have fallen for a con woman, which yeah. is completely correct, and warned him about his relationship with Terry, who was unable to produce a death certificate for Robbie, and their suspicions were proved right and local police got involved. Okay. So finally, at this point, it's starting. People are becoming less stupid. They've had enough of her shit, and they're trying to like. Okay. So police research failed to find an obituary for Lindsay Homan in Lindsay. Um, Should write the wrong name. I don't know. Maybe. Robbie Homan, in any newspaper in Texas, in the time frame of her purported death, and the place where Robbie's body was donated, Texas Medical Research, did not even exist. <laughs> so you better have you better make it a little harder than that for the police lady like okay i know this because this is what the 80s right like i assume it's like yeah. mid 80s now this is before the time of like widespread computer internet usage sure right so i get it but i'd still name a place that actually yeah. exists because, like, if this guy's like, oh, yeah, they donated her body to so-and-so, and, like, his buddy's like, I've lived in Texas for 30 years. I don't know what the heck you're talking about. Yeah. That's my Texas accent, it's by the way. It's, it's repulsive. nice. But, like, just pick, like... Just... Make it just, like, you know, just don't make it so that the police only have to have one phone call. Yeah. To, hey, does this place to exist? Prove this. No? All right. Yeah. So, anyways... So an obituary for Robbie Homan appeared in a New Hampshire newspaper, but it aroused suspicion when police weren't able to verify any of the information that was in it. Okay. Um, And a New Hampshire state police detective surmised that the woman living as Terry Martin was, in fact, Robbie Homan and had staged her death. So that hunch pays off, and then shortly after, they bring in Terry Martin for questioning, and she, at this point, confesses to being Audrey Marie Hilly. So she didn't even confess to being the person who faked her death Robin she's like no I'm actually this runaway fugitive from Alabama well I don't know I think she might have confessed to both okay all I know is that she admitted to her real actual identity so she just came clean with everything okay so yeah she was returned to Alabama to face trial 
and she's very quickly convicted and sentenced to life in prison for her husband's murder, and then 20 years on top of that for attempting to kill her daughter. So yeah. So she was never charged with the killing of her her mom and her step I don't know. Interesting. I don't know. It's not in my information, so maybe, but mm. maybe not. I don't know. <clears throat> All right, wrapping up this soap opera here. Audrey Marie Hilly Homan began serving her sentence in 1983, and she is described as a quiet model prisoner. The good behavior earned her several one-day passes from the prison, and she always returns on time. So she's just kind of, it seems like she's just doing what she needs to do, biding her time and being perfectly respectful and yada yada. I wouldn't give her passes. I'd be like, hey, isn't this the lady that skipped out on bail? Yeah, maybe we shouldn't let her. Pretended that she was kidnapped? Like... February 1987. Oh, God. Hilly escapes after she's given a three-day pass to visit her husband, John Holman, who had moved to Aniston to be near his wife. He's stuck with her through I know. all this? I know. I know. Is that the most stupid thing you've ever Because here's heard? the thing. He's not just like, oh, she faked her death. And if you did that, I'd be like, okay, she's a little crazy, but maybe <clears> we can get past this. Maybe there's a reason. Like, But then you find out like she also murdered her previous husband. I'm sure reporters have come forward and been like, hey, yeah. her mom also died by mysterious reasons. And I'm sure the daughter came forward and was like, yeah, Ma's crazy. Yeah. But this dude's like, nah, she cool. I'm going to go <laughs> and stay with her. I don't know. I don't know. I think because of how long he believed her bullshit story. He might not be the greatest. I think, well, I don't want to say that to be mean. Like, yes, maybe he was a little dense. But I also think that he must have just had such strong feelings involved that it made it harder for him to maybe see the signs that all the friends and coworkers saw. I guess. And yeah. then when he finds all this stuff out, he can't just stop having the feelings that we, he had. We can fool ourselves into believing a lot of stuff, yeah. But yeah, like when once there's an emotional attachment, I don't think that for some people that can just vanish overnight. I guess. You know? Some people can hold a grudge. And the second they find out that you did something bad, that those emotions are gone forever. But yeah. it just seems to me like he's the opposite case, you know? I guess that makes sense. But, like, I was going to say, he doesn't yeah. seem like the sharpest tool in the shed. In fact, I think he's still in the store. Ha. Ha. You're so funny. I know. Anyways. Wrapping up. So they spent a day at an Aniston motel, and then Homan left for a few hours and just disappeared leaving behind a note for her husband asking his forgiveness. So her feelings, I don't think, are mutual. No. <laughs> her escape prompts an inquiry into the prison system's furlough policy, which I guess is the policy that deals with... Yeah, years. just letting people out for yeah. short periods of time. <clears throat> so this time, she wasn't missing for very long, though. Thank oh, God. thank God they found her. <laughs> Four days after she vanished from the motel, Aniston police were responding to a call about a suspicious person... And they go to a home and they find her there. Okay. So she'd been apparently crawling around in the woods, and her body was drenched by four days of frequent rain, and it was also pretty numb after being exposed to, to temperatures that were dropping to the low 30s, so this is this would be her. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> so she was taken to a local hospital and underwent emergency treatment for hypothermia, because she was, I just guess, living in the... I guess she was just living yeah. out in the elements for a while. Um, so while she was being transported to the hospital, she had a heart attack and she died.
This was a soap opera episode. There's only one better way to end this episode. You want to hear what it is? The vehicle would have to, like, crash and then reveal that it wasn't her and was actually an evil twin or something all along. <laughs> is that your guess? That, and then, yeah, and then you just see, like, the evil twin, like, doing, like, the slow finger tap as she walks away. No, here's the grand finale to the true crime soap opera. She is dead. Okay. And they bury her beside the husband that she murdered. Why? <laughs> I don't know. I don't know. (laughs) (laughs) There's so so many people in this case that I don't understand. She's... Part of me doesn't want this story to be over. Part of me wanted her to, like... She faked a heart attack somehow and got, like, just completely nuts. But I... I'd love to be the guy in charge of, like, figuring out where she's buried. Like, well... She died technically, you know, a, a prisoner and all this stuff because she was going back to jail and all, and all this. They were treating her after she'd escaped. And this guy's like, we need to find a place to bury the body. How about next to the purpose or the person she killed? Right? And then, like, his secretary's like, are you sure that's a good idea? And he's like, oh, yeah, it's fine. I'm sure the dude's family wouldn't be pissed. Yeah, so the family, for one thing, I can't imagine how they would have reacted. But also, if you're the type of person who believes in any kind of afterlife or whatever, this guy who was murdered and has that lady buried next to him, like, he's rolling over in his grave. Just rolls over, gives her the finger in the coffin. Like, the whole point of burial is people are at peace. But that's not... And, and there's justice, right? But this is the opposite of that. It's it's just so... It's so disrespectful. And I just can't stand it. This lady is just oh, a mad lad. It's just like, this cringy. is insane. So, I usually... I know I usually ask you, Scoff, if this is conceivable or not. This is all... I believe one... I I believe it because it's so well documented. But if you told me that this is allegedly it happened in, like... The 1600s, I'd be like, there's no way. Yeah. This is too nuts. Yeah, so that's why I had to share it, because even though it's documented and it's a whole thing, so many people would read this and be like, this can't be real. This is a screenplay of some kind. Because yeah, this sounds just like no it way. should be a movie or, yeah, an episode of a soap opera. Just like... <laughs> like, I just... This needs to be a musical. <laughs> It'd be like, like we, it, it would have, be just like Sweeney Todd. We ha- I was about to say we have Sweeney Todd. Let's let's bump this up instead of like a throat slitting barber. We need an arsonist oh, man. wife. Ars- not arsonicistic. Arsonicist. <laughs> yeah, I don't know what that is. Someone who poisoned someone with arsonist. Anyways, so that is that is the conclusion of our episode for today. That was pretty good. Um, and um, I think I mentioned in previous episodes once or twice that I'm trying to alternate between maybe if there's like a spectrum of believability kind of to go a bit lower and then a bit higher this, this is a tell so, this is a conceivable yes because this is, a, this is all documented and yeah, stuff so so next time um, you you listeners and you Mr. Scoff can look forward to something that's a little bit more out there I look forward to it yeah so with that being said we will see everybody next time And uh, we hope you have a good day and have a good one. Bye.